Welcome to another Friday Roundtable here on Purple Insider. Matthew Collar along with Sam Ekstrom. And our guest is Ben Brown for Pro Football Focus. Describes himself as just betting in data. So that's what you do, Ben. You're just betting in data. And anytime, well, okay, so Sam knows much more about gambling than I do. But I like to read what the gambling experts are saying because I feel like it's unique insight. So that's right. what you do is provide a unique insight, even for those of us who um, are afraid to bet because I get too mad if I lose any money. So how are right. you? I'm, I'm doing well. I do think you described it really well. That's, you know, kind of the appeal, I would say, of sports betting, right? Uh, somewhat of a leader in like, you know, football analytics, asking some of those questions as far as, you know, how to maximize win probability and stuff. And I do think uh, it's an exciting industry that's, you know, kind of only beginning to take hold. So I'm definitely excited about the direction that we're headed for sure. So here's where I want to start. This whole week, we've been analyzing timelines of the Minnesota Vikings and other teams. We've looked at tanking teams. There's another conversation that I've recorded that's another middling team like the Minnesota Vikings. I want you to tell me, because I feel like the gambling world is the absolute sharpest, to use a gambling word, uh, when it comes to figuring out which teams are on the right timelines. Although uh, none of you people saw Cincinnati coming last year. But I want you to tell me your process for figuring out when a team is on the right timeline, when they're going to be better than expected, when they're going to be worse, when they're going to be middling, like what yeah. process would you use to determine a team's timeline? Yeah. And I, I, I might push back just a little bit on the Cincinnati Bengals. Cause I did, I actually wrote oh, them up okay. around this time last year, uh, plus 2,500 to at least win the AFC North. I didn't get them, you know, winning like the conference championship or anything like that, but uh, they were, you know, definitely a spot. And like you said, uh, kind of an intriguing buy low candidate before the draft, right? They had a you know a top five pick. All, for all intents and purposes, it was kind of a discussion between uh, Panay Sewell versus Jamar Chase. And I thought if they went in the direction of Jamar Chase and kind of got that dynamic playmaker that he looked capable of doing, uh, that was going to elevate their whole offense. And that is kind of you know what happened, right? Obviously, a lot of big plays high chunk EPA type of plays. And that worked out really well from a betting perspective. So I definitely agree with you kind of trying to get ahead of the curve. Uh, some things that we definitely look for uh, is, you know, the rookie quarterback type contract situation that allows other, you know, allows pieces to kind of be put in place. And I do think that uh, and looking at some of the 2022 candidates, everybody kind of wants to gravitate towards a team like Jacksonville, right. Who had a lot of money to spend uh, in free agency, obviously has Trevor Lawrence, who was, uh, well below expectations in his rookie season, but has shown, you know, the ability to be, uh, you know, the quote unquote generational type quarterback talent uh, at that position. But uh, given what they did in free agency, I think they're actually probably a little bit overvalued, uh, not only in the betting market, but just as far as like, you know, the media pundits and everybody else kind of predicting them to make uh, a Cincinnati Bengals type leap forward. So I think that uh, the overall mentality that I try to do from a gambling perspective is to really try and buy low on teams or sell high, right? And I do think that uh, it's not only the teams that have the really high win totals, but it's also the teams that uh, it seems like everyone's kind of trying to be popular and back at the same time. So those are it's kind of almost like fading the the general public narrative in a lot of situations. And I do think that's where you find uh, the most value on teams to either exceed or uh, fall short of some of those gambling expectations. Well, it's got to be tough for a sports better to nail a team like the Minnesota Vikings, who's constantly right in the middle there. I think right. their win total has been projected eight, eight and a half, nine for like four or five years in a row. Uh, let's just lay the groundwork. How, how do you read the Vikings outlook for next year from, from a gambling perspective? 
Yeah, I mean, I think they're going to go nine and eight again, right? That's right where their win total is eight and a half games. They just, uh, you know, haven't done anything that I would say is going to elevate their performance from last year outside of outside of, you know, maybe getting a better offensive coach uh, in the mix, uh, you know, upgrading the defense coordinator position, those sorts of things. But everybody is a year older on a roster that uh, is kind of already coming apart at the seams. So I think that I think they're priced kind of well. I would probably be playing uh, their under, uh, especially on their win total, but also to maybe like miss the playoffs in that sort of scenario. Because uh, outside the fact that the NFC North, I think, you know, is going to be dominated by Green Bay Packers. Uh, I think, you know, both the Bears and the Lions also have uh, opportunities to exceed expectations. So I do think that uh, in kind of folding all those things into play, uh, it looks like the Vikings are, you know, maybe going to fall short uh, of expectations because they're kind of, you know, I would say a lot of people, I know you guys probably agree with this, but they're, they seem almost directionless, right? Like they're trying to do this uh, competitive rebuild type of thing. But uh, at some point, I think they're going to have to tear the whole thing down and potentially start over until that happens. Uh, you know, it looks like eight, nine, nine and eight type seasons are going to be uh, about as good as it's going to be from a Minnesota perspective. So let me ask you about some of those factors that you mentioned. I mean, you mentioned the age of the players, and I think this is something that's really not um, easy to discuss for people like us who do the day to day, because we can only work with what we just saw in terms of, uh, well, you know, this guy was good last year. So how can we come out and be like, oh, he'll fall off the edge of a cliff, folks, just wait. Right. <laughs> it's, it's a hard proclamation to make. Uh, how do you determine age of players and projections and things like that and where they can go? Because I've always found it to be very tricky. I've seen players in their thirties succeed. It'd be great. Everson Griffin last year when he played, right. we thought, uh, you know, Griffin, he's not going to be the same guy comes out and has a I think top 10 pass rush win rate. Like, what? Yep. Um, but then there's been other players we've seen that one year, Xavier Rhodes is terrific. And the next year he is in, in no way, shape or form the same guy. I think it's one of the hardest things to figure out in all of sports. Yeah, definitely. And, I do, and, and we kind of saw, you know, especially with Xavier Rhodes, kind of have like a rebound year after he left Minnesota and went to Indianapolis and had a really good PFF coverage grade. So I, I definitely agree with you. We've tried to do some modeling uh, as far as age curves for specific positions in the NFL. Uh, but there are obviously injury concerns that happen in any given year that uh, can can result in a guy having a down year, even if it is, you know, maybe just a little bit of a lingering injury that uh, doesn't allow him to necessarily live up to his expectation. But it is, it is a really difficult problem to solve. But looking back at the Vikings from last year, of course, you know, looking back at it now, we can understand like the whole, you know, coaching and everything else was kind of in disarray, uh, but they were relatively, I would say almost lucky from a injury perspective. And they also got, uh, you know, a really solid performance from Kirk Cousins at quarterback. And I think, you know, from those things kind of carrying forward from one year to the next, uh, maybe aren't going to be as repeatable as they were in 2021. So I do think taking those sorts of things into account as well, like, do we all agree that Kirk Cousins is, you know, a top five quarterback in the NFL? Because that's, you know, essentially where he graded at from a PFF perspective last year. But uh, I'm not sure that I'm overly confident in him uh, you know, being able to achieve that level of success again in 2022 uh, and, and everything else improving around him. So that's probably the reason why uh, I would lean more towards fading a team like Minnesota uh, than actually buying into them to exceed expectations. Cause I just think their ceiling is uh, in too low to the point where uh, they're kind of priced towards their ceiling more so than they would be anywhere close to their floor. I would say. You can certainly take this upcoming question and apply it to the Vikings or just the league at large, but how do you take a new coach into account? Because I know that 
Eric Eager did a study a couple of years ago that shows that new coaches, particularly on offense, can have a, a year one impact. And that's often because they're replacing a coach who maybe wasn't as good. So they're right. just set up to sort of improve on, on what the previous results were. But when someone like Kevin O'Connell takes over and we know that offense is just like the engine to, to what makes these teams go, um, do you look at that and say that could be a sneaky factor that that maybe would fly in the face of my other opinion that the that you should fade the Vikings? Yeah, I mean, it It definitely it, I think it definitely helps their cause, especially, uh, you know, moving from a defensive minded uh, coach like Mike Zimmer uh, to an offensive guy. Uh, like Kevin O'Connell, I definitely think that matters. We have seen, you know, and like you like you touched on a little bit, when a, when a coach is fired, obviously they're not living up to expectations. So for a new guy to come in uh, and at least meet that floor level expectation, we do see that quite a bit. But but in some of our, you know, specific to our like our betting models and those sorts of things, continuity actually matters a lot. And it matters a lot at the head coaching, offensive and defensive coordinator positions, and at the quarterback position. So those are all things we take into account. So we would probably uh, not necessarily like completely ding the Vikings for moving to a new head coach, but it's something that uh, they're probably not going to get as much love in our modeling perspective than a team uh, that does have the continuity at, um, you know, the coordinator head coach and quarterback position. So I think that's a team like, uh, or for example, like a team like the Denver Broncos, uh, you know, the betting market is really high on given the fact that they upgraded with Russell Wilson. They have Nathaniel Hackett now as head coach, uh, but they have, you know, a, continuity issues basically at all three of those positions. So for all of them to kind of come in uh, and mold together and be successful, uh, I think is a pretty high bar to achieve, especially in year one. So uh, they're a team that we are, you know, a lot lower than, uh, than the betting market expectation. I do think that it's mainly due to the fact that uh, it's really hard to piece all of those things together and be really successful right away. Uh, given, given the complete turnover that they've experienced. So uh, Vikings aren't as in bad of a position as them, but uh, it's definitely something that we do take into account from our modeling perspective. So something that comes up all the time from Vikings fans is that they were close in a lot of games last year. Right. And uh, you mentioned luck. I was going to ask you how many, like to estimate how many teams think they got unlucky, but my guess is either 30 or 31 for last year for their fan bases. And um, you know, there's, 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 I've mentioned it before on the show, but a great tweet from justice Biscata, who I'm sure, you know, who said something like every team that wins seven or eight games thinks that they're one piece away from 12. Like, yeah, okay. But the, the Vikings last year, it's been a big discussion. Like, were they lucky? Were they unlucky? Give me your process of trying to figure that out. Cause I think this is a huge factor when you're determining, do I bet on this team? Do I not bet on this team? Yeah, definitely. And, and, and in a lot of ways, like, like you said, like the one score games, they can be completely random at the end, but we do see, you know, quarterbacks specifically who have uh, been really good, uh, actually do exceed some of those expectations of one score games. So uh, the question goes back to is Kirk Cousins one of those guys? And I just don't think that he is. So I would say that, you know, even though they had a lot of one score games, it wasn't necessarily that they were losing that lead, right? They were kind of playing this catch up in order to make the scoreboard uh, almost close to them, what it actually appeared to be at the end. So from that perspective, we can do uh, some things as far as 
where they were at throughout, you know, the until like, you know, five minutes or six minutes to go in the fourth quarter and take that sort of score and then model out from there uh, kind of how they performed. And I do think that uh, when you do that, the Vikings were probably uh, league average from like a luck standpoint in a lot of scenarios. And I think if you fold in injuries, of course, you know, Daniel Hunter uh, had had the season ending injury. He's been out for, you know, year and a half in some ways over the past two seasons. So maybe that's a little bit unlucky. But uh, outside of that, you know, Adam Thielen was hurt. But again, he's uh, on the older end of, you know, wide receiver playing. If you're thinking that you're going to get a thousand snaps from a guy in his age range, uh, I think that's probably like a foolish thought to actually have. So I'm not really going to give them credit for injury situations that I think a lot of people would have maybe projected out or at least had some inclination that those were going to happen. But yeah, it is, it is, it is an interesting question. I do think, you know, modeling one score games, uh, is something that analytics hasn't necessarily come up with a really good solution for right now, but it's, you know, it's something that we're continuing to work on. Uh, and it does, you know, it is things that people kind of evaluate, uh, not necessarily from a model perspective, but more so just like a overall understanding and inclination that they would then use uh, to kind of determine if they do want to bet on the Vikings or not. Yeah. Mike Zimmer was very quick to point to those one score games, but he right. always, he always neglected to mention that they won a bunch of them as well. And it almost canceled, canceled each other out. Uh, but let me ask you a question just at large in, in free agency, when a big name moves from team to team, um, does it have to be a quarterback for that to move the gambling needle or are there certain players that can have an impact? Maybe a Devonte Adams or a Tyreek Hill that really can change the outlook on a team. Yeah, I mean, I think I think you know what we saw with like the Las Vegas Raiders, like their their price adjusted more so than uh, you know their odds on going over or under their win total, right? Like they didn't see a number change uh, like you would from like the Denver Broncos landing Russell Wilson, uh, but there was like a material price change given the fact that, you know, Devontae Adams is expected to be, you know, top three type wide receiver. Similar similar idea with Tyreek Hill as well. We do occasionally see uh, specifically, you know, wide receivers as well can maybe have like a very small impact uh, on the betting market uh, future for a certain team, but it's not going to be anything more than like a, a, a price adjustment more so than, you know, like a half half game movement up on their win total or anything like that. So uh, it does matter in some ways. And I think, you know, more of like the week to week nature, uh, we do see some of those things obviously uh, shift if there's especially like cluster injuries along, you know, the offensive line or secondary or something like that. But outside of that, it's, 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 it's heavily influenced by the quarterback and not a lot of uh, other, other players really have a huge impact on the spreader total. Isn't this the hardest thing to explain to people like that when we try to deep dive on what it means to sign a replacement level guard, uh, maybe that's an extreme example, but you know, we've dealt with this kind of a lot where there have been players who are brought in. I'll use Zedarius Smith, for example. I don't think that they really hurt themselves by bringing in Zedarius Smith. And if he plays 17 games, like he did two years ago, then yes, he is absolutely moving the needle. We can't project that, but even if he does, a defensive end, a linebacker, these guys aren't really worth like whole wins. They're worth right. like they're making you better, but they're not like changing your fate. And I think that's one right. of the hardest things because you sound like a jerk when you say it. When you're like, "Hey, the signing is good," but I mean, you know, it was eight wins or something. Like you just, right. I, I think it's, I think it's a challenge because we understand we're part of the discussion machine. That the more exciting it is for fans, the more fun it is for us. But also, we have to be realistic here when we're analyzing moves and saying what really moves the needle. 
Right. And I think I think you absolutely hit the nail on the head. Right. And and it goes back to this discussion of, you know, what's replacement level versus what's starter level. Like there are a lot of really, really, really good athletes in the NFL, a lot of really good players in the NFL. So moving from, you know, one guy to a, maybe a guy that's, you know, five or 10 percent better uh, on any given play isn't necessarily moving things a whole lot because it is still a team game that is driven mainly and only by the quarterback position, right? And then you got to fold in some of these coaching decisions and everything else. And it, it's a really complicated, uh, you know, overall formula or structure to kind of try to assign the value to one specific player and on one specific game. Uh, and I do think that, you know, there's there's fandom. And obviously, you know, I would love to see the Vikings win a Super Bowl uh, in my lifetime. I'm not sure it's going to happen or not. Uh, but I do think that uh, people want to buy into, uh, you know, they their team signed the best guys and let all these guys that probably can't play as well walk away and that's just like it's just not as nuanced uh as it needs to be and like a lot of these guys they're just you know maybe slightly uh, a little bit upgrade better in certain situations but uh that's not really going to impact you know the the win total or even uh on a week-to-week basis the spread i would say so you're saying that Patrick Peterson's not going to count for three wins? He's not. That's what count. I. That's what I that's, saw on Twitter. That's yeah. I mean, it was good contract, right? But I think uh, it it goes back to like what is where where are we trying to head or what are we actually trying to do here? I think you know, right? Like I I, I like the Patrick Peterson signing last year. I thought this year, obviously, uh, pretty good value uh, from a team perspective, but uh, it still signals this idea that they are you know going to compete to win the NFC Championship game or something like that right and i think you know given the state of the rest of the nfc they can definitely be a a legitimate playoff contender but uh i don't want that to be the goal right i want it to i want them to actually compete for super bowls and i just don't know given the current state of the roster if they're actually going to be able to be able or capable of doing that so Folks, Minnesota sports teams are competing for the playoffs, and it's time to load up on your Minnesota sports-inspired gear from Soda Stick. Use the promo code PURPLEINSIDER for 15% off your wildflower Marc-Andre Fleury design, or if you're excited for baseball, get your fast-as-buck Byron Buxton shirt or hoodie. Go to SodaStick.com, use the promo code PURPLEINSIDER for 15% off. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Um, I've got another question for you just about teams that cover. Um, five teams last year had a 60% cover rate or better. One of these teams is not like the other. Dallas, Green Bay, Cincinnati, San Francisco, and drumroll, Detroit. Detroit. I knew it. Dan Campbell's. Detroit. So <laughs> it, is Detroit better than uh, than their record last year indicated? Yeah, I, I, I actually think they I think they definitely exceeded expectations. Uh, I think, you know, in Dan Campbell's first year, uh, I thought they were going to be the worst team of football and they played hard every single week. They came back. They did cover in a couple scenarios where they were down pretty big uh, early on in the game. But uh, they're a team that I, I honestly firmly believe 
are kind of trending in the right direction. I do think that if they can hit on a quarterback here in 2022 or 2023, uh, they might be a lot closer than what people are giving them credit for. But even like a team like Chicago or Minnesota is uh, and actually potentially winning the NFC North when, you know, when the Green Bay Packers inevitably do move on from Aaron Rodgers. So uh, I think that, you know, going back to the initial discussion we had as far as like what teams could exceed or fall short of expectation, the Detroit Lions are definitely uh, uh, an intriguing team that I think could definitely go over their win total again here in 2022. And slightly related to that, one more on this topic. How is the market not caught up to the Packers yet? Because I think they've been 60% or more three years in a row now. And that's just unprecedented. That doesn't right. happen. You know, like even the Patriots were were still around, you know, 50% cover rate a lot of those years during their dynasty. So how is Green Bay continually doing this? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 honestly, it goes back to the quarterback play. We've seen it where, you know, these historic type quarterbacks where, you know, consistently the best second best or third best quarterbacks in the NFL uh they greatly exceed uh spread expectations more than any other team right and I think with Aaron Rodgers at quarterback uh the Packers have consistently done that and it's 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 hard because uh you know at a certain point uh no one's gonna want to buy into or bet uh the Packers if their spread does become overly inflated but uh there's definitely an adjustment that I think uh, you know, great quarterbacks maybe haven't gotten uh, as much recognition or uh, respect from the market as they probably should have, because they are, you know, one of the key things that actually has shown to consistently outperform uh, the spread expectations. So guys like Tom Brady, guys like Aaron Rodgers uh, are probably worth even more to the spread uh, than what, you know, Vegas or betters are even giving them credit for right now, I would say. So I was going to ask you a, a schedule related question, and I was going through the Vikings opponents and Kirk Cousins has probably got a good case for being better than 11 out of the 17 quarterbacks he's going to face, or, you know, counting Jared Goff twice and counting Justin Fields twice, maybe. But also then you look at the rosters, and I think that there's a lot of stronger rosters, like Miami, that they have to face. That's a stronger roster than the Vikings. At this point in the game where we stand right now, and you're trying to project how good will this team be, does that mean anything to you or or does it? Or do you factor that in? Because I've always found the strength of schedule is something we got to look at at the end of the year because it's really hard to say when we're going into a season. Right. Yeah, it, it, it definitely does matter, right? And uh, it is something that we fold in. So, you know, not to like go too far into the weeds or with anything, but uh, for a lot of years, you know, Eric, Eric, you and I's, you know, betting process has been kind of this like top down approach, right? Where you start with some key metrics and you can try to predict uh, or, you know, express out or project out what you think the win total is going to be, what you think that spread's going to be and everything else. And I think that, you know, this off season specifically, we have had simulations in prior years, but we're trying to do more of this bottom up approach where we would simulate, you know, every single play uh, for every single game and then kind of see, given the distribution, where do the Vikings actually stack up? And that does take into account, uh, you know, like the ELO rankings uh, for those other teams. It takes into account like the expected facet grades given their uh, depth charts uh, that we have currently available for all those teams. So uh, it definitely is something that we fold in uh, given, you know, PFS specific power rankings. And it definitely does matter quite a, quite a bit. And I do think that uh, right now it's not, it's not talked about a lot because we do, we know the teams that they're going to play, but we don't know the order in which they're going to be played. Uh, so I think that maybe people overlook it when they're trying to, you know, find teams that they think are going to be valuable to either go over or under their win total. But uh, it's something that uh, definitely needs to be considered, especially given some of those uh, teams that are maybe, you know, finished 
at the bottom of the division last year are going to have a lot of, you know, a lot of worthwhile games where they're probably going to be able to uh, sneak one or two victories out. And then from there, uh, you know, it's beating one or two division opponents at that point. And then if they do that, uh, they're, they're well over their win total already. So uh, it's, it's, it's something that matters quite a bit and something that we definitely take into account. Ben, I would love to hear about a couple of your hits and misses from last year. I mean, you mentioned that you were pretty high on Cincinnati. That's obviously a hit. I would love to hear maybe uh, another example, like why you believed in those teams. And then if you could share uh, a miss as well, like what went wrong or why didn't you get that projection correct? Yeah, definitely. So yeah, Bengals were definitely uh, my biggest hit, I would say for sure. Uh, I'm trying to think of a couple other ones as well but yeah i mean specifically with the Bengals, i was actually probably early on them i thought they were a decent uh dark horse candidate to make the playoffs at like a plus 600 uh payout in 2020 uh and i do think you know with with what joel burrow basically showed at lsu in 2019 i did think that he even though he went number one overall i don't think he was probably getting enough credit for being uh this generational type quarterback like like we saw from you know the trevor lawrence coming out in the year after so i thought that he could easily exceed expectations really accurate passer uh and i think that given the direction that uh the league is moving to being more a much more of a pass heavy team i did think that they could definitely arrive earlier uh and they did right and i think after you know jamar chase was drafted with them it just made a lot of sense for them to actually be able to uh be a pretty dynamic offense given that they already had t higgins as well who looked like uh, a pretty big hit in the second round of that 2020 draft as well um so they had the pieces i would say in place especially at the skill position uh and then they just kind of needed to figure out a way to do it uh along the offensive line and you know they got enough there and i do think that they're going to be obviously vastly improved again heading into 2022 but uh i think the the cat's obviously out of the bag with cincinnati so you do have to look for you know other betting or value opportunities on teams that maybe aren't necessarily going to make the same type of uh, of leap but at least have some of those like core pieces uh or opportunities in place to actually be uh more successful than what the betting market indicates but i think uh going back to your question uh the biggest miss for me i think was probably listening to eric eager uh ramsplaining uh and being basically completely off completely off base on uh, the Los Angeles Rams. I do think, you know, given our, you know, research and those sorts of things, we want to see teams build through the draft. We want to see them on uh, a guy, a rookie or a quarterback on that rookie contract, kind of get the pieces in place and then fit some of those veteran deals in around them uh, and really build like a winner that way. And I think the Rams uh, obviously kind of fly in the face of that analysis. So it was something that uh, we kind of missed the boat on. Obviously need to reevaluate some things, but they were uh, definitely my biggest miss. I think I had their under win total uh, and wasn't really on any futures for them whatsoever. And probably probably for the most part, faded them throughout the playoffs as well uh, on their on their spreads and those sorts of things. So that was, that was definitely a painful one for me. Uh, given the fact that they ended up winning the Super Bowl when it was all said and done. So there's there's makes and misses uh, from a gambling perspective. Thankfully, you only really need to hit like 54, 55% of your bets to be uh, a successful sports better. So take your chances. You got to take your lumps as well. Yeah, but, but I mean, isn't it like the Rams are a great example of just can't predict football? I mean, when right. you, I mean, in the middle of the season, they had Odell Beckham and Vaughn Miller. And we talk about how one player doesn't make that big of a difference. But when Robert Woods goes down, who's a key player, and then Beckham starts playing great for them, it's like, well, that does make a difference because the guy they would have been playing in Robert Woods' place is hysterically bad. They right. dropped every right. pass that I ever saw thrown his way. I forget his name. 
Uh, yeah, but so, even in the Super Bowl, like bounces off his hands and it's a pick like that's the guy who would have been playing. And instead it was Odell Beckham. And then a blocked pun in Green Bay, a 17-7 lead blown, a what the hell were you doing? Todd Bowles defense in right. a playoff game, like all these things. Now, like uh, Eric will say, and everyone should, they don't have to apologize to anybody for winning that Super Bowl. It's just that the odds were against them. But sometimes right. if something has a 5% chance of happening, that means it happens five times out of 100. exactly. So and exactly. That, that to me was the Rams. Yeah. And it, and it happened. And, 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 you know, they definitely, they got, they got the performances that they needed at key positions, right? Like Jalen Ramsey, probably the best cover cornerback in the NFL. They had that. I think Cooper cup played at, you know, the best wide receiver season that we've seen in quite some time, all these factors uh, that I don't think you can necessarily bank on year in and year out happen in the perfect year. And they got the right dice roll uh, and they ended up winning. Right. And that, that happens. But, but to go back to like your initial point, like football is such a random game. I would say more so than any other sport, right? So modeling it, uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of gray and a lot of situations and things obviously don't work out uh, close to our expectation, in a lot of scenarios, but uh, I think that's also what makes it kind of fun in a lot of, a lot of scenarios as well. Cleveland Browns, Deshaun Watson, your thoughts on their projection for this year? Yes, we did just get their win total. I think it's nine and a half. Um, The question I think has to be answered is, uh, you know, how long is Deshaun Watson going to be suspended for? Uh, I think it's going to be right around six games or something like that. So uh, I, I firmly believe that they're probably overvalued in the betting market, probably going to be a popular team to fade as well. So uh, I think, I think the team that I like from the AFC North quite a bit is probably uh, the Baltimore Ravens. I would say at like plus two twenty five or something like that. Uh, all right. Well, I got a draft question for you and then a game for you to play before you go. Uh, the draft question is what's the, what's the thinking on quarterbacks who will be drafted first when, how many first round picks uh, if, if I were to spend my money on gambling um, and have any belief in myself, this would be a fun one to do, especially with everyone saying it's a weak class. Everyone hates these quarterbacks. Like, put me down on Detroit for Malik Willis at the number two pick or something like give, give right. me your thoughts on the quarterbacks and what uh, the betting market is telling us about where they might go. Yeah. I mean, I, I actually really do like Malik Willis as a prospect. I had him to go first overall a little while ago when he was like, not actually a pretty heavy favorite at a minus price. I think he's like minus 200 right now in DraftKings. So uh, I think the ship has kind of sailed on him being the first overall or first, first quarterback selected off the board, but uh, and I know you touched on Detroit. It sounds like they might go, uh, you know, more like edge defender or something like that. I think that probably fits in with Dan Campbell's, you know, philosophy or, you know, team building perspective and everything else. I believe uh, with my heart uh, and and a long shot bet that I actually find really intriguing is Malik Willis to go uh, to the Houston Texans. Mm-hmm. I think if you, if you buy into, you know, Eric Eager's belief that they're setting up some sort of maybe Christian cult or something like that. I do think drafting the Liberty quarterback uh, and getting him on board makes too much sense. Right. And they have the third overall selection. So if they want to reach for him uh, in that particular position, they definitely can. They also have 12th overall. Um, I'm not sure he's going to be there at the 12th overall pick, but I do think that uh, the, the, the least talked about landing spot for him that I think makes the most sense 
uh, and it's probably priced at a really good uh, thing. I think it's plus sixteen hundred on DraftKings. I think it's like plus twelve hundred on FanDuel or something like that. But 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 Leak Willis to go uh, to the Houston Texans, I think, is just uh, maybe I'm galaxy braining it too much, but I think there's just too many things where that's uh, that's actually going to happen to the point where uh, it justifies the it justifies the price that you're getting uh, in order to lay those odds. I would say so. And how many of these guys do you think will go in the first round? How many quarterbacks? So, yes, we have actually seen it move down. I think it went from three and a half down to two and a half. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe that's the Kenny Pickett hand size and everything else. I think Desmond Ritter uh, is 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 probably like my second favorite uh, quarterback prospect. I do think it's going to be really hard uh, to see three guys go in this draft class. So I'd probably take the under two and a half uh, as well. Maybe we see somebody move up into the latter half of the first round in order to select a guy and get that fifth year option. But uh, I think from from my perspective, it's going to be a lot more round two guys than round one guys uh, at the quarterback position. So I think Malik Willis, Locke, no one else really, I think is probably going to go in the first round, I would say. Okay, let's finish off with the game here. We'll bounce back and forth, Sam. We're going to throw the most ridiculous football bets we could come at, up with at you. And you have to tell us how you'd figure out whether like what the bet would be if you had to bet this. So I want to start off with, would you bet or how would you determine if you would bet CJ Ham, the Vikings fullback over under 11 and a half catches this year? How would you figure out if you were going to make that bet? Okay. So what I would do is I would look at uh, his overall snap percentages based on, you know, overall offensive snaps, how often he was actually on the field and what personnel, and then how often he was actually even in and passing downs. I would look at, you know, PFF data to see how many routes he actually ran uh, over the given time frame and see if he would even have opportunities at 11 and a half targets or whatever. Right. Um, and I do think that, you know, looking at Kevin O'Connell's, you know, expected base usage, how often he was throwing uh, in short yardage situations, how often he was even getting, you know, a fullback on the field are things that I would definitely try and take into account. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, I think CJ Ham's shown uh, a few times that he's definitely more than capable yards after the catch back. So I feel like I, I feel like the only side to that bet is probably the over uh, if, if, I, if I was getting de- decent odds on it, I would say. So I don't know. That is that is an intriguing question, I would say for sure. Though. So. Is it <laughs> 17 catches last year for CJ okay, Ham? OK, so I would gonna, not have guessed that. Right. Yeah, so. he's going to get used. All right. What's your ridiculous bet, Sam? What about something like, I mean, I know that there's barely any challenges anymore in football because it's all like reviewed by the booth, but um, like over under two and a half m- missed challenges in a season for, for Kevin O'Connell. How would you even go about go, uh, researching that? Yeah, I mean, I would I would honestly look at league, league-wide break, base rates. Like you said, uh, the rules have kind of been shifting a little bit to the point where they don't necessarily have to uh, have to call in a challenge if it's obvious. So I'd probably look at like the most recent base rates uh, and try and go from there. I do think that uh, the over is probably correct. Just based on like my initial napkin math or thing, things that I'm thinking through in my head. Uh, I do think that he'd probably go over two and a half missed challenges uh, given, given this, given the fact that we don't have any prior history on him, I think it's league wide base rates. We also have seen Sean McVay, uh, you know, Kevin O'Connell is obviously a disciple of Sean McVay. A lot of people are saying, uh, hasn't necessarily been great from a challenge perspective either. So maybe that holds true. Uh, but I do think that, uh, the over is probably the smash spot from that perspective. Okay. One more from each of us, uh, over under the fourth round of where Matt Ariza, the punt God gets taken in the draft. I, I feel like only from an analytics perspective, I have to say that it's it's going to be over. But uh, 
I, I should not coach my bets whatsoever. So it's probably going to be like the third round. It's probably going to be, you know, the Patriots or somebody else going up there and getting them, a, you know, making a mockery of all of us analytics folks who want, who want, who want the game to be as pure as possible. Uh, so yeah, he's, it's, it's honestly, he, he is really impressive. I've never watched uh punter highlights as much as I've watched him actually punt. And it is, it is a beautiful thing. So I guess if he goes uh, in the first four rounds, uh, I definitely don't mind seeing him get paid. That's for sure. So um, and then I'm just thinking about the new um, like overtime rules in the postseason, you know, over under half a game that actually like gives the, you know, where the second team has the rebuttal of the first team and it goes into like a sudden death session. I'm going to, so it, I th- so I think it's only postseason. I would be shocked if we even see the scenario play out uh, in the postseason next year. So I'm going, I'm going under with that. Uh, quite a bit but yeah that 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 rule change is really it's I don't think it's necessarily gonna do what everyone is hoping it's gonna do unfortunately so we'll see but uh as as a a Minnesota Vikings fan uh I would love I I would love to continue to see the overtime rules especially in the playoffs progress given the the 2009 fiasco that I'm still having nightmares about with Brett Favre so I'm just kind of bummed that you lose out, I think, on so many walk-off touchdowns now. Like, it's fun when a team scores and they get swarmed in the end zone. That's pretty cool. It's a little less um, impressive when a quarterback just, like, throws an incomplete pass. Yay, like, we win. That's what we're going to have a lot more of now in those games. People just want defense to matter so much, so that's why we're going to see the the fourth down incompletions and stuff, right? So. I, mm-hmm. I didn't need it to change. I probably <laughs> never needed it to change. And I've always thought that the NFL should just have ties in the regular season. But, right. uh, okay. Bonus one though. Bonus one, uh, over under 0.5 Viking Super Bowls ever. Oh my God, dude. I don't, I, cause if I say <laughs> under then I'm like the biggest pessimist, right. And all my friends are going to be like, Oh, some things never change or whatever. But I, given the current state of the roster, like I, I, I don't think they're going to be any clo- anywhere closer in the next like five to seven years. And then that's when the rebuild happens. So uh, I'm going to, I'm going to die a sad man, but uh, I think it's going to be under still from my perspective, unfortunately. So I mean, I'm curious ha- both of your thoughts on it though. I want to get your thoughts. on. <laughs> well, I'm trying to think so. like you, I'm trying to think like historically, like what have we learned across the four major sports that typically like the longest level of drought is going to be like a century, like at, at the century mark or the 80 year mark, that's when these cursed teams usually get one. Um, So the question is, is the NFL going to exist in 50 years? Cause I think when there's enough pushback with the safety of football, that Mm -hmm. that's the bet is if it's going to sustain into like 2070, then I think you, you kind of hit that threshold where the Vikings have probably done it. You just got to have the league exist. Well, and I would say that, you know, I said ever so like Eddie Zongstar from Mars could always right. be the guy that they pick number one overall out of 740 teams in the year 8,000. Right. So it's always possible, except for the world will have incinerated because getting by close the, to the sure. sun. compensatory yeah. draft and an intergalactic draft <laughs> the intergalactic. yeah that's right you have to take so many earthlings and then you get so many aliens um someday no i think uh it it only takes it only takes one it takes one year it takes right? one and it takes one bunch of things coming together or one quarterback to give you a bunch of chances right. and so i would absolutely not say never i was talking to with someone who covers the new orleans saints like 
what a laughing stock their franchise was for a long time. And then just, they weren't so. Right. And uh, then Drew Brees just kind of fell into their lap. Right. And all of a sudden it was amazing. Yeah. That's it's, it's, it's the hope it's, it's, it's the hope I need to be more optimistic. I would say, I appreciate you guys putting me in my place with that. So, nah, but I do think that it's proof that you were born in Minnesota. Like right. that's, that's what really uh, solidifies it. So uh, at PFF underscore Ben Brown on Twitter, you do a lot of awesome stuff on in the betting realm. If people couldn't have, figure that out by now uh and uh great follow on twitter good to get together with you man it's the first yes. time we've been able to do this and uh i'm glad we could do it for this friday roundtable thanks for coming on thanks guys thanks for having me it's always a pleasure